hello. Hey, it's Nick Walters here with the National Hip Growers Cooperative for yet another one of our uh, webinar Wednesdays that we are interacting with people from the hip industry and, and learning more about what they do and how all of that fits into a way that can help our grower members or anybody else that's really interested in the industry as well. And so we are uh, super tickled today. How about that? Is that a term that y'all use in Colorado? No? Super tickled? tickled? Yeah. Super tickled? Maybe not? Okay. So um, uh, uh, my friend Morris Beagle is on and uh, uh, without uh, pumping him up too much, uh, when I say that this is uh, an absolute um, industry leader in, in the hemp industry, that is not a small statement. Uh, we are very grateful, I'd like to say at the front end, uh, for the advice and counsel and um, belief in what we are doing and creating the co-op that you have given to us, Mark. So we're, we're are, are, uh, uh, appreciative of all of that. And, and we're glad that you're taking some time to hang out with us today. My pleasure, Nick. We just got to hang out a couple of weeks ago in Montana. So Wasn't that neat? Yeah, it was great to be up there and see IND Hemp and what they're building out up there definitely continues to give me hope. Yes. Well, and it's an interesting dynamic too, right? About the folks that understand more and more. It seems to me that you've been in this way, way, way longer than I, but it's starting to, it seems to me that, that there are people who are understanding more and more the value of the grain and fiber and what we need to be doing with grain and fiber and not only concerned about CBD. And, and not that the two are at odds with each other, it's just that they are different sectors of, of what all the plant can do. And I think the more food and fiber kind of conversations and that, uh, opportunities we have like we did out at IMD Hemp, I think the industry does well by doing more of that. Yeah, and it's been a long time coming and certainly the focus has been on the cannabinoid side. And we reached a point in 2019 where we kind of overgrew the market based on what was the demand and the, you know, and the obstacles from the FDA that have given us this bottleneck. And if we're gonna really make this crop uh, fulfill its promise, it's gonna be with grain and fiber, really driving the bus on the, the acreage. And sure, there's gonna be a cannabinoid side and whether that's smokable flour and the topicals and the ingestibles for CBD and other cannabinoids for health and wellness products. But when we're talking the, the big change that hemp can make, it's gonna be on grain and fiber and it's gonna be the IND hemp's of the world and the Canadian Rockies hemp's of the world that have these farmer co-ops where you've got 30, 40, 50, 60 farmers, and you've got a big processing facility within 50 to 75 miles of that facility that are gonna grow 10,000 to 50 or 100,000 acres and be able to supply the industrial markets and the, the grain markets for animal feed and the protein markets, which, you know, the, the meat replacement market, that's, that's where we're going with this. And, to satisfy those markets, we're going to need millions of acres and we're going to need the IND hemp's of the world popping up in places all around the country. Right. That's right. Yeah. And that's what gives us good hope too, because <clears throat> it, it's, um, 
I don't know where our friend uh, Jimmy Petty says she stole this word from, but uh, I, I heard it first from her as cooperation. I don't know who who coined that. Jamie says it wasn't her, but um, it's been around for a while. I I, I give that to Bob Hoban. Okay, Bob actually did it, or he borrowed it from somebody else. Bob's good <laughs> at borrowing things too. Yeah. It's, we all it's, are. Yeah, we are, and and that's what it really is. If you look at the Hemp Roundtable, that's got the top 30 or 40 CBD companies that have been fighting for legislation at the state level and at the federal level. They're all competitors, but they're joined together so we can have a regulated market so we can all participate and then let the competition really begin. But until then, we all have to work together with our competitors. Right, and, and, and just where you have been so helpful to us uh, as people who are later to the game, uh, but not at the tail end of the game, um, sorting through who are the real folks and who are the posers and who are the people that want to do help, want to want to make it work, so not to get there. I mean, you know, so it's and the industry still immature. Uh, it's it, and as you look at it as an industry goes, but man, for the amount of passion and the amount of hustle going on in the game uh, about the people who have drunk Kool Aid, I don't think you can. You can't buy that uh, uh, type of enthusiasm. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, look, let's do this. Start us off with the um, uh, where you had your aha moment as it related to being involved in hemp. I know you're involved in the music industry and, and the promotion industry and other things that you've done uh, in your past that I happen to know about. But, but let's make sure the folks watching here know a little bit more of the of the most story. <laughs> All right. Well, I I do come from the music industry and the entertainment industry. I've been in it since the late 80s. I worked for a large music and video distributor from like 1988 to 2000 or to 1995 and then I I was in California at that time and and we serviced Kmart's and Walmart's and Sears and Montgomery Wards and big box retailers with audio and video, pre-recorded music, CDs, cassettes, vinyl some of that was still around then video cassettes books and what's interesting is you would not believe how much of that material back then was overproduced by these manufacturers and that stuff either ended up in cutout bins for really cheap or it actually ended up in dumpsters and landfills and i really looking back on it the amount of product that i put into dumpsters that in turn ended up in landfills from book products, tearing off color covers and throwing those in there to CDs and jewel cases that were not recyclable back then. It's really, really disheartening. And I feel guilty about it. And there was like my come to Jesus moment as to, wow, I've personally done a lot of damage to the earth through just my action of working for a large corporation. And I didn't really have that epiphany until later uh, when I was trying to figure out what I was going to do post music business, because that basically in like 2009, 2010, after being in the music industry for a long time and the physical media business is getting wiped out by the digital side of things. There was Napster and MP3.com and then iTunes and Amazon and all these digital platforms, which killed the physical media business for the most part. Um, it's like, what am I going to do? I kind of was just burnt out on the music business and we had medical marijuana here in Colorado, and, and then here comes the recreational adult use push. 
Um, but at the same time, within that adult use push with Amendment 64, there was the opportunity for farmers to start growing industrial hemp here in Colorado. And, and I was familiar with industrial hemp, haven't really been involved with it, but I did get familiar with it in the late 90s at a place in Fort Collins. There was a hemp store and I read Jack Harris' book, The Emperor Wears No Clothes. And anyway, it's like, what am I going to do? How can I transition my skill set into another industry? And and hey, hemp seems like it can be something that could have a positive impact on our future environmentally. And I feel bad about my what I've done personally to the environment. And I am an environmentalist. I want to reduce my personal footprint and and try to provide a, a world that's better than it was before I got here for my kids. And the direction we're going is humanity. Um, we're all guilty. And I think we're all going to have to come to the realization that we all have to step up and do something that's going to help our planet rather than hurt our planet. And so I've committed myself to industrial hemp and what it can possibly do from a textile and building materials and bioplastics and soil remediation and um, all kinds of cool, new, innovative technologies that are going on, which you're, you're familiar with some of these because you're working on some of these that people don't even know about. Uh, and it's exciting. And, that, and so I guess my aha moment was here in Colorado, and I'm trying to figure out what direction am I going to go? And it was adult use marijuana that provided an opportunity for industrial hemp here in Colorado before the 2014 Farm Bill. And we jumped in in 2012 and started Colorado Hemp Company as a hemp merchandise company, doing T-shirts and hats. And then we found a paper company and then we started NOCO. And, you know, we've just kind of had this snowball of different brands and events and things coming out of our, you know, out of our business model. And here we are in 2021 and we've got a whole bunch of events and a hemp paper company and a hemp guitar company. And you can see some of that in the background here. And I, we do hemp t-shirts and hats and we've got a media platform called Let's Talk Hemp. And we're out just advocating on behalf of the plant and the planet and trying to get humanity to rally to, to do the right thing and to make a decision to let's move away from toxic chemicals and petroleum-based society to a hydro, you know, to a carbohydrate-based, plant-based, bio-based society. Yeah. we are. There you go. Well, it's cool about how your background fit into all of that. I mean, it, it seems just from, from the mezzanine level, looking down about kind of looking back, the things like you do with Colorado Hemp Company, there are several, there are groups out there that do that same kind of thing, right? And then, um, <clears throat> but really, you know, when you got into pulling off NOCO, talk about that a bit, because it, it is the uh, premier spot for uh, worldwide for a, a show uh, for an event that is focused on industrial hemp. We know we've got the Southern Hemp Exchange. She coming up, or Expo, I should say, is coming up in, in Raleigh in a month, and we certainly want to talk about that. So not so much about the numbers of the difference of what's at She versus at NOCO, but talk a little bit about kind of what it was like to, to start that those first uh, two or three NOCO sessions. So coming out of the music industry, I've been involved with a lot of events, concerts, festivals, um, also corporate parties. I'm, I'm an event guy. 
And I went to a lot of trade shows in the music industry. I went to the National NARM show, which is the National Association of Recording Merchandisers. It had like Tower Records and all the record labels, all the retailers, all the wholesalers. So I did that for a long time. I also went to the NAM show, which is all the Fender, Gibson, Tama, all the instrument makers, big, huge trade show that's in Anaheim. I uh, went to CES, which is a consumer electronics show. So I'm quite familiar with big trade shows and getting into the hemp space and seeing what was happening there. There were some little hemp gatherings and seminars going on in libraries and just real small scale, not really exhibitions, but people would come together and talk about hemp can do this and that. And it was just little ec educational lecture type things. And then the big marijuana shows started to happen. There was like Canacon and MJ Biz. And this started happening a few years before really the, the hemp side of things. It's like, well, we need to create our own little hemp trade show conference platform. And so we started NOCO at a bar in 2014 with about 350 people and 15 to 20 exhibitors and a day's worth of programming. And Doug Fine kicked off our, our first keynote. He just released hemp bound right at our yeah. event there and which has become a, a instant classic for the the hemp industry kind of like the emperor wears no clothes with jack hair you know doug's a little more new testament rather than old testament i would say and um and from there the next year we went to a new facility in loveland the ranch events complex where we spent four years at and we had about 1200 people and 60 or 70 exhibitors and then we continued to grow from there until 2019 we had 10,000 plus people and 200 and some exhibitors and and we were skyrocketing and we were bringing in people from all around the world all facets of the supply chain and we've seen people raising money we've seen people going out of business you know we've seen the good the bad and the ugly and going into 2020 there was going to be more of it, but we were expecting 400 and some exhibitors. We, we already had them booked and 20,000 plus people. And here came COVID. Um, plus here came the big oversupply problem that we had with, with CBD and biomass and the FDA not responding and regulating CBD like they should have after the farm bill and really putting our industry in this position. I, I do throw so much blame at the feet of the FDA for not acting. And I think we as an industry really have to stand up and we're going to be doing it at she um, we have to get this regulated where it's a dietary supplement and it's a food and beverage additive just like everything else because we know for a fact world health organization has even come out and said so much the science backs that cbd and these cannabinoids do not pose any sort of health risk and the FDA just needs to do what they're supposed to do, and that's regulate this. So it's already in commerce. There's no way to shut it down now. And we just want to make sure that these brands that are doing it correctly are not going to be disadvantaged by all these brands that are not doing it correctly out there that shouldn't be out there in the first place. Let's just regulate it like any other herb, any other botanical. And you know, this has been a central theme to what NOCO has built upon, as well as she is let's regulate this industry so we can get up, get it moving and let it do what it can do for local communities, for the health and wellness of our personal selves and our planet. 
and we're going to continue to beat that drum until we get there. There you go. I mean, you know, I, just from watching various industries as they uh, bloom and get more, I just, I remember, I don't know why, but I remember um, uh, mortgage brokers uh, were, were getting together as a group to say, we want to regulate our own industry so we can keep the buffoons out. Because when people look at us, they don't, they can't differentiate one from another from another. And so there needs to be standards. So using that as maybe a small little example, when an industry comes together and says, we're inviting the regulatory piece, we, we need the regulatory piece because we know what we know works. And these other, you know, hanger owners out here are, are, are not playing in the way that we ought to play. And we know what works. And so come, regulate us. We're, we're open for it. Uh, I think that speaks tremendously to the credibility of the people that are in the space, right? I mean, instead of saying, stay away, big government, big brother, stay out of my business. That's not what we're talking about. No, and we've been saying that for a long time. The Hemp Roundtable has been doing a really good job of this, and we've set up the U.S. Hemp Authority, which is a regulatory, you know, self-regulatory um, certification program. And we are trying to regulate our industry the best that we can, and we're doing a pretty good job if we're going through these programs. And we've reached out to the American Herbal Products Association, who's there right with us who've been working with the natural products industry for 30 years and they're like this is just another herb it's just another botanical let's regulate it the same way we already know how to do this and again it's falling on deaf ears at the fda you know they're blaming it on the pandemic now but really it comes down to the pharmaceutical industry saying don't do this you know we've got drug companies that are putting this out there, they're using isolated molecules for, for drugs, and they're sticking their nose in the natural products industry. And this has been going on for a long time. And the FDA, what they are is they're a mouthpiece and a strong arm for the pharmaceutical industry. And we all know that. And but we got to continue this fight. And we are, that's why we've got Congress. They're ready to, to force the FDA's hand. And, and we as constituents need to reach out to our representatives and our senators and let them know that they need to jump on board with the legislation that's already been introduced in the house and in the senate that we, we've got bills that can fix this problem right now but all of that then also in context kind of like we started our conversation here is all of that being tied to the fda as it relates to to cannabinoids. Talk a little bit about what you see about the difference, though, once you start to be maybe even more in the fiber side, right? So even on the grain side, you're still digesting and eating stuff. But when we get into textiles and we get into hempcrete and we get into biofuels like we're doing and projects and other things that other uh, uh, we can be involved in, might that not be some of the focus that helps people understand there's way, way more to the plant than whether you're eating it or feeding it to a cow. Absolutely. That there's no question about that. And that is regulated differently. Although some of this CBD madness and cannabis madness trickles over to the grain and fiber side, because you've got farmers out there 
that are apprehensive because of what's happened on the CBD side and the connotation that it's marijuana, it's going to get you high. And if it goes over 0.3% THC, then it's going to get destroyed and they don't want to take the risk because uh, the crop insurance isn't really set up in a way that you can look at what's happened over the last five or six growing seasons and they can adequately insure it at this point. So there, there's issues there. And because of what's gone on with the FDA not regulating, this has just trickled down from an investment standpoint where there needs to be money coming into the fiber and grain side uh, to build out these processing facilities and just to put some more money behind getting those parts of the plant up and going from an acreage standpoint. And I think that it's coming, but people have just been more apprehensive because of lack of regulation on the cannabinoid side. And they are going to be regulated differently. When it's all said and done, grain and fibers, just it's going to be just like corn and soy. And it's technically set up to be that way. Although, oh, it's you, if you go over 0.3% and some of these cultivars or varieties that we will bring in from whether that's Canada or Europe or China, and that haven't been grown in these latitudes or these localities, they might spike because that's they're just growing and doing what they naturally do. And all of a sudden, if that THC goes where it may be 0.2% in Poland, all of a sudden it goes to 0.4 or 0.5%, then it's hot. It's still not being grown for any purpose other than to be a grain or going into car parts or packaging or textiles or building materials. And it matters nothing. It doesn't matter at all what that THC level is when it's an industrial product. Sure. Sure. When it's in your fender, what do you care? Right. It's not going to end up making a, a difference on all that, but I, it's, it seems like we're, we're, if we can get to the regulatory piece that it depends on what the end use has been, used for what it's being grown for, then we've really moved in the right direction. And and we won't get there tomorrow. But I think as we're all kind of conscious of that, I think that the I think that helps the industry and I think it's going to be a it's going to be a better thing for all of us. Yeah. I mean end, end use is we've been talking about end use for a long time and we're all hung up on this 0.3% or 1%. But in the end, it should all be about end use. The farmer should, it shouldn't be regulated in the field. It should be regulated by the time it goes to market. And if it's going to be a consumable, if it's in adult use, then whatever. If it's at going to Whole Foods or Walgreens and it needs to be below 0.3% or 0%, it, that all can be taken care of in processing and manufacturing. So when it ends up where it ends up, it is what it is. So the regulation aspect of that really should happen in processing and manufacturing and not put any extra burdens on the farmer whatsoever. We want to do everything we can to make sure that the farmer is successful and makes money. That's what we do every day, my man. That's part of, that's part of, uh, part of the whole reason that we're, that we're, that we're here. All right. So tell us some about, and then we want to open up and see if we've got any questions. Um, uh, Tell us about uh, what will be at She this year. Um, what are you What are you looking for? What are What give us a preview? All right, so we've got three days. It's September second, third, and fourth. September second, we have a business conference, 
and kind of business slash investor. And we've got several keynote speakers. We have Dr. Uma. We've got Bo Whitney uh, talking about uh, hemp market growth forecast. Uh, we've got uh, Bob Hoban, who's going to give a, a basically an industry, state of the industry, 2021-2022 update. Morgan Paxia from Poseidon Investments is going to talk about hemp investments. Uh, we're going to talk about fiber. We're going to talk about grain. We're going to talk about FDA technology. We've got all kinds of things that we're talking about on the business. This is the investor kind of financial forum that happens on Thursdays. Right? Yeah, so Thursday's the business conference slash financial investor side of things. Friday is farm and agriculture. Saturday is more of a, a general education. Uh, we've got sports figures. We got Matt Willem, who's a Super Bowl champion. We got Rachel Rapino, who's a, a international soccer star, and her her sister Megan Rapino was, I think, the the whatever most valuable player when the women's soccer team won the championship a couple of years back. Um, and then we've got uh, we're going to have veterans panels. We're going to have really we're just going to be covering the gamut. We've got over a hundred speakers. We've got like sixty some sessions, seventy sessions. We've also got expo floor that's got an education stage that will have programming on it all three days. Um, got several networking functions. Primus is playing that Saturday night at the amphitheater across the street. We're going to do Primus on the grass. Uh, cool. party. So if people want to come throw down with Primus and Les Claypool and they're doing a tribute to Rush called, um, what is it? No, it's not a farewell to Kings. I, they're either doing a farewell to Kings or 2112 in its entirety, but it's, it's a tribute to Kings uh, in honor of uh, Neil Pert passing away and Rush no longer touring. So <laughs> and that's great. Yeah, and that, that's we we all benefit from your experience in putting on exhibits and shows like that because you you get an idea of what people want to see, and in addition to the education piece and the networking and all the other good stuff <clears throat> that's there. And so um, Raleigh, uh, uh, North Carolina, uh, September two, three, and four, correct? Correct. And you can go to southernhempexpo.com. The schedule's up there. The ticket information's up there, whether you want to get an expo hall pass or buy a, a platinum pass, which gets you into all the conferences, gets you into everything, really. That's the that's the big ticket. Um, or you can buy the individual conferences. And, yeah, all the information is up there, all the speakers. All stuff. What's that? I said we'll learn all kinds of stuff. You'll learn something whether you want to or not. Yeah, and there's going to be a great group of people there. Lots of networking opportunities. One of the most important things for these events is being able to get together face to face and have conversations. And while it's nice to do this via Zoom, it's much nicer to do it in person. No doubt. No doubt. Because it's good when, when these relationships keep getting built. Because as we, you know, as an industry grows like this, you're going to have different opinions, different folks that are coming in and people that are. Uh, uh, feel real strong about one point or the other, just like any other group that you would be. But when you've got a relationship with somebody and you've broken some bread or you lifted an elbow or you've had some kind of a chance to know each other about our families and where we come from and kind of where our hearts are coming from instead of just what we might be hearing somebody say, 
it makes all the difference in, in how the dialogue is set, I think, and how you they want to communicate that way. And, and, you, and, and she and NOCO give us those opportunities uh, to, to do that. And so the industry <clears throat> is not just about writing you a check to come attend. I think the industry as a whole is benefiting in a big way by us being able to have that opportunity. And, you know, things like what we're doing, you know, just like we were talking about the uh, uh, on the farmers and what will grow and what won't grow, you know, in the southeast and the Gulf South, we're still trying to learn what variety of, of seed is going to grow. We're in the middle of a seed trial right now that uh, that we have done and partnered with HCI, and we've got four of their varieties planted right now in Mississippi and Louisiana, and we've got a second grow season that's going to start um, in a couple of weeks uh, that we're going to add Alabama and Florida maybe some Arkansans that are going to be involved in all that too with some other varieties. So, you know, things like that coming to the Southeast and coming to the Southern United States and understanding this is not just a West of the Rockies, you know, left coast play here. Okay. No. This is, this is, this is a, a something that matters throughout the Carolinas have been active in that and plenty of folks have been involved in it. So uh, a, a, another tip of the hat for that. So it's cool that y'all recognize that. Right. Well, this is a it's not only just the United States thing and uh, left and, you know, East Coast, West Coast. It's a it's a North American thing. We've got Canada. We've got the United States. We've got Mexico that are all going to be growing industrial hemp over the course of the next decade and couple decades. And, and how can we build out this supply chain where everybody is really doing what they do best in whatever geographic region that you're located in? And we're just trying to figure that out now. These seed trials are going to be going on for quite a while throughout the United States. What fiber varieties can grow well where you're at in Mississippi or in Florida or in Arkansas? They're going to be different to some degree than they are in Colorado or, or Kansas or Montana. Yeah. Things. yeah. It's, it's the same thing as our friend Greg Nico says. How does growing hemp fit into what you're doing right now? What variety, what, what grows where you are? And who's going to buy whatever it is that you're growing? Okay? And so that's, that's part of the reason that we are here as co-op, is helping those growers figure that out, as well as what is the processing and commercialization piece on the back end of all of that. And so until we know, we don't even, I don't even think we know what we don't know yet. You know, I think there's there's still so much of a thing for us to do, but, but we're taking a long-term approach about this. We're not trying to run out there in the next 15 minutes uh, and think everybody's going to, you know, get rich in the next, you know, here directly, as my grandmother would have said. I mean, we're, you know, we, we know that it's coming, so we're, we think that's a cool thing. All right. Hey, we got a question popped up here, which is one of the great things that we are doing with our, our webinar Wednesdays. These are, are being converted into a podcast. And within a few weeks, we are uh, we won't be in the same realm as Let's Talk Hemp, which is a podcast I'd highly recommend that you, that you listen to. But one of the things that we are enjoying about recording this and going into podcasts is it gives us an opportunity for people to ask questions. Uh, uh, as we're recording, and it gives us some interaction with us. So, are you able to see that question right there from Michael, or do I need to? Let's uh, see. Do you think 
Yeah. Do you think more states will follow North Carolina and pull out of regulating their own hemp programs and let the USDA do it? Well, I would say that there will definitely be some states that do that. And I, I think it's rather unfortunate um, at this point. I'm disappointed in North Carolina and the fact that they've really not stood up and, and worked hard to represent their farmers in their market there, at least from a CBD and food and beverage standpoint, they're still like, hey, we're just listening to the FDA where so many other states have just gone to the, it's like, this is an approved food and beverage ingredient. Like they have in Colorado and Oregon and Tennessee and New York and just a lot of places that are very more uh, hands-on from the Department of Agriculture, trying to work with the stakeholders. and. There's great stakeholders in North Carolina. A lot of them done a great job and they did do a great job on getting smokable hemp uh, approved there in North Carolina. And so that's hands off right now. Delta eight is in the gray area like it is still in a lot of other places. But all that said, there's definitely going to be states that are going to say, hey, we don't want to deal with this. Whatever the USDA says, that's where we're going to go. And you know, I don't know what percentage that's going to be. And who knows, maybe all state, maybe there will be a good USDA program eventually where it's going to be a blanket for the United States. And that's everybody will do it. Well, of course, that's the way we are in Mississippi, right? So we've started off as one of those three states that did not submit a plan to um, uh, AMS to get approved for a state plan. And I tell you, you know, the, the, the fee is a grand total of zero, except for what you have to pay for your background check. It's a three-year license. And um, uh, there's a lot to be said. There's zero regulation of the processing facility, which is, so it, there's no, no dollar figure for you, to, other than what would be your local, you know, land use right places to do it. I mean, you're not going to go put it in the neighborhood. I mean, but... but um, uh, there's a lot to be said for that, and it is one of the factors, besides the fact that that's where we're headquartered, but it is one of the factors of why we are doing our bio-renewable um, uh, natural gas facility in Mississippi, is because we don't have to worry about that about that regulatory piece. So, well, uh, there you go. Um, I would say, I would say to be determined. So I think it's Vermont and um, Hawaii, right, are the three states that started out with no um did not submit a plan and did not have a state ag department um, uh, regulatory piece. And so um, we'll watch and see. You know, we, we've been we've been doing some forays into Florida and talking to some growers there. Um, they have a, a grand total of zero dollars of, of, of what a, a process. I mean, a um, a grower's license is free in Florida. You still have to do the background check and the rest of that. But what we've noticed in that, Morris, is that there are a lot of people that eh, didn't cost me anything. Yeah, I'll, I'll get a license. I may decide I'm going to grow something one day. Uh, and they're not really kind of getting into it for the industry itself. Or they heard all the great jillions of dollars that everybody was going to make doing CBD. And so they jumped in and it didn't cost them anything. So why not do it? Well, I don't know. I kind of, I'd, I'd rather have 10 people committed than I'd have 100 people half in. And, and, um, um, Again, it's one of those maturity issues in the industry, right? That we'll just have to see how it all floats out. So. Well, that, that, there's advantages to that for sure. Whereas in California, what they're trying to do as far as 
fees to get involved in the industry. It's like you're pricing farmers out of the market that you got to pay thousands of dollars every year just to participate in all the things that you got to pay for. It's like, man, it's who wants to grow hemp in California if you have to jump through all these little hoops and pay all this money? Right. And, you know, some of the things like we saw when we were up at Fort Benton a couple of weeks, that was your first time up there, right? Correct. Right. So remember when you and I first met, I was that was part of my grand tour that I met. So that was my second trip to Fort Benton. But um, it was interesting to see those fields, uh, those that had irrigation and those that didn't, right? And, and uh, I'm wondering, too, about the ongoing infrastructure of the farming community of people who are uh, how that's going to fit into the processing in the long term of, of where the supply is coming from. Uh, anytime you've got farming, you've got risk, right? Everybody knows that. But but um, where are those growers going to be that really have their own infrastructure, like an irrigation system, just as an example, even if we had a market for you to be able to take your hip to? So, Watching all of that, plus the state regulation piece, it just seems that somewhere, I don't know when it is or where it is, but there's going to be some kind of a normalization of it all. It's going to be kind of figured out that this is kind of what it looks like. And I hope it's large, whatever it is that it gets figured out like, but uh, it seems like that may be part of the same direction. So. Yeah, I think so. We're still, it's going to take a, some more time to figure all this out and where the chips are going to fall. I agree. I agree. Well, look, tell me, um, I know you do not allow yourself to just go willy nilly, get on boards and, and uh, uh, go be a part of groups just for kicks and giggles, uh, just so you can attend some more meetings. But I do know that you put your, your energy and effort to uh, an approval of the friends of hemp. So uh, talk to us a little bit about the friends of hemp. You know, one of the things that we've done um, as an attaboy and a thank you to people who have been our guests here, and we will do the same for you as we make a little donation to the Friends of Health, just as a thank you in your name and honor for, uh, for spending time with us on, the, on our, our webinar Wednesday. So tell us a little bit about that as a nonprofit organization. All right. Well, it's funny because I've got a Friends of Hemp board meeting coming up right after this webinar. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad that you reminded me of that because I forgot about it. I was going to be taken <laughs> off. On your calendar. Who knew? Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, and yeah, this is actually the only nonprofit that I'm a board member of. I've been an advisor to some different nonprofits in the space that I've tried to keep myself out of a lot of the nonprofits because they can get pretty political and just there's a lot of baggage that comes with some of these organizations. And while I'm supportive being in the mix of all that stuff, I just don't have the bandwidth sometimes to deal with that. But with Friends of Hemp, there's good folks in there. Annie Rouse and Josh Hendricks both said, hey, I'd love to have you, you know, join us. And and it's just it's more of an advocacy organization where anybody can be a friend of hemp. And, and the goal is is just to spread all the, the the good word about him, you know, all the benefits, all the products that can be made, letting the everyday Joe Schmo know, hey, you want to be a friend of hemp, and this is all that it can do. And so we're really coming up with what is what is the focus? How can we be a nonprofit organization that just helps with 
promoting the benefits of hemp and getting people familiar with it, getting other organizations involved, whether they're hemp organizations, cannabis organizations, or any organization uh, out there that might have an interest in making the world a better place through hemp, anybody can be a friend of hemp. So it's really kind of general and broad at this point. And while we're not trying to come up with a checkoff program per se, like Got Milk and these big marketing campaigns that really take a lot of marketing dollars and buy-in from the industry, what can we do on a smaller scale with our own reach and our own little ecosystems and circles of influence to reach out and, and get people on board to be a friend to hemp and just to let their circles of influence and, and their networking groups know, hey, you know, hemp can do this. You've heard about CBD, there's hemp protein. You, did you know you can make cars out of hemp or build houses out of hemp? So again, it's really spreading the good word about hemp at this point. We've got a brand new that's website that's getting ready to launch. Uh, there's gonna be, everything hopefully will be launching by Southern Hemp Expo, that's the goal. Well, that's one of the reasons that we're members uh, and it's why um, uh, we think it's a great organization too. And so uh, continue to put us down as the yes column, whatever okay. that's worth uh, to be a part Everybody of. should be a friend of him. And that's a, that's a great tagline. Yep. <laughs> right. Morris Beagle, I can't thank you enough for taking some time to be with us today, man, and, and sharing with us about where things are, are headed and what things are going forward. And um, once again, Southern Hemp Expo correct is our is the website and uh be there be square do you, do you offer um uh virtual uh attendees as well right that can watch a lot of the education stuff or is that not just this go around where yeah. you, yeah. you got to show up you learned it no come <laughs> let's yeah, we, we tried it but let's not this time okay yeah the hybrid thing was a we had some challenges with that yeah, we've had the same. We've had to get it. So that's terrific, man. Thanks so much for everything you do. I'll see you in a while. All right. Thanks, Nick. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye. This podcast produced and distributed by MWB Studios.